Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Life is not a playground. It is a battlefield. That's why you and I have to understand that Jesus says, when you take it to the streets, well, Satan's going to be there. Death is going to be there. But notice what he says. The gates of hell will not overcome it. So Jesus says, even though Satan's there, even though the threat of death is there, even though there's warfare, Satan has no power over the church of Christ and over you and over me. God wants us to take the message of the cross to the streets. People need to hear the message of God's forgiveness. However, when we do that, we can expect a battle. In today's message, Pastor Mark warns us that life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. Satan will bring tremendous resistance to our taking God's message to the streets. However, we also can remember that neither he nor anyone else can overcome us. Jesus promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. In other words, we need not worry that the enemy can keep us from fulfilling our mission. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Matthew with part one of his message entitled, Why Church? Walls, No Walls. Turn to two places, John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and then get your finger right back to Matthew chapter 16. John 14, Matthew 16. I came across something that I thought was very relevant as we're talking about the church. As you know, all of you have used one of these hand dryers, and uh, I came across uh, a story where it says our pastor, because of health reasons and whatever, and maybe save money on towels, our pastor put us a sanitary hot air dryers in all the restrooms in our church. But after two weeks, he had them all taken out. When the man who had installed them went back and he says, Pastor, why, why in the world are you taking this? Don't they work? And the pastor said, no, they work absolutely fine. They're perfect. But he said, last week I entered the men's bathroom and he saw a little sign over the top of it. It read this. For a sample of this week's sermon, press the button. (laughs) A church. What is a church? We learned last week, and you won't have time to copy these, don't even think about it. But here's the definition of a church. A church is not really a building. A church is a living organism. It's a body of believers. It's followers of Jesus Christ. It's you. It's me. Who carry out, get this, the purposes, not of us but the purposes of God. And we learned some key foundational principles last week, five. We learned last week that Christ is the founder of the church. He said, I will, I will build, I'll found my church. Second, we learned he is not only the founder, but the foundation. The church is not based on man. 
It's not based on the Catholic Church, which just means universal. It's not based on the Protestant Church. It's based on Christ, founded on him. Number three, not only is it founded on him, but he is the authority. You have to have a head. Anything with two heads is a freak. Anything with no heads is dead. So you have to have a head. In a marriage, the husband is the head of the home. There must be one head. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Number four, he's the builder of the church. He said, I will build my church. Healthy sheep reproduce. As you find, you'll, know, you'll hear a lot more about that next week. As you see God moving in your life, well, God uses that to just do number five, add new people to his church. And so all of those are foundational principles. God is into a growing church. He's not in the numbers because numbers don't equal spiritual growth, but he's into a growing church. He wants more and more people to come to Christ. Now, turn to John chapter 14. We'll, we'll begin down in verse 12. One of the things I want to remind you of, it's a huge principle today. When you get there, let me give you a little summary. In John 14, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving. I'm going back to heaven, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, replace me. And when I go, I'll prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back for you, the rapture. I'm going to take you to be with heaven. And then we go through some wonderful verses. One of them is, Jesus is on the way, the truth, and life. Then he goes on and basically says this, and I want you to see it so you'll get it today. He says, in a little while, I'm leaving. And then he says this, I'm establishing my church, church's people, starts at the day of Pentecost, and you are going to take my place. So Jesus says, watch me, I'm leaving and you are going to take my place. Acts 10, 38 says, everywhere Jesus went, everywhere Jesus went, the three and a half years, everywhere he went, he did good. He touched lives, he ministered, he taught. So Jesus says in John 14, you'll see in a moment, he says, when I leave, you, you, you're the church, every single one of you, you're taking my place. You're going to be Jesus on this earth. Now, we're not God, but we're going to continue doing what Jesus did. Now, how would that look? That was pretty shocking to the disciples. I'd have to say this. The majority of people in church today have no clue that they're Jesus on the streets. They don't have any clue about that. But that's what exactly we are. I represent Jesus Christ on this earth. That's what a Christian is. Christ-like. Now, look at verse 12 and 13. Jesus says it like this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will what? Do what I've been doing. Well, what he'd been doing. He'd been going all over, touching people, ministering to people, sharing people, loving people, teaching people. Anyone who has faith in me, that's in other words, believers, will do what I've been doing. In fact, he will do greater things than these because I'm going to my father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, it doesn't mean it's an open checkbook. It means that anything we ask would be what Jesus would ask so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So what does he mean here? If I take the place of Jesus, how can I do greater than Jesus? Well, it's not in the type of ministry because he multiplied the breads and the fish. Uh, he calmed the seas. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. You can't get any greater than that. But what he means greater is this. There, he was one man. The church would start with 120 on the day of Pentecost. Can 120 have more impact than one? Say yes. Can 6,000 have more impact than 120? 
Yes. So there would be greater in that way. Number two, as we go out, there would be greater number of converts. Do you know that Billy Graham has more converts than Jesus ever had converts? Why? Well, because he was able to go to more people. And then number three is, how long did Jesus minister on the earth? Tell me, how many years? Three, three and a half. How long have you been a Christian? I've been a Christian 50 plus years. So I have many more opportunities to do that. And of course, the last one is the scope of his ministry. Except for going up to the little Tyre and Sidon, where we talked about in Lebanon, and then down to Egypt as a baby, Jesus never left Israel, this little country about the size of New Jersey. He just never left it. If we go around the doom today, you and I have been all over the world. So all of these things point to a principle that I want you to write today. You already kind of had it, but here it is. You and I, the church, continue the ministry and the message of Jesus on the earth. The church is not doing something new. It's simply an extension of what Jesus did while he was here. So when you and I get that, where did Jesus do most of his ministry? Did Jesus do most of his ministry in the synagogue? No, he did not. Where did he do most of his ministry? He did most of his ministry in the streets. So here's something I I want you to, if you forget everything else in this teaching today, I want you to remember this. I've got to take it to the streets. Because that's where Jesus did the majority of his ministry. Is that correct? Well, we take it to the, the streets. That's what we're supposed to do. That's where Jesus ministered. On the streets. And the reason the church is as ineffective as it is, as we call church here. And on Monday, no thought of the church. No thought of the ministry. No thought of the message of Jesus. We have to change our thinking. So here's the next thing I want you to write. You already said it. Good to reinforce it. You and I, the church, take Jesus to the streets during the week. So our goal is to take the message and the ministry and share, help people, cup of cold water in the name, whatever, during the week. So I want you to begin thinking on Monday that you have Jesus with you. And we're taking him and his ministry and his power and his message to the streets. Now as we go to the streets, what can we expect? What happened with Jesus... When he would take the ministry to the streets, what would happen? We'll see a lot about that next week, but we are going to learn a couple things today. Turn back with me to Matthew 16, that's where we've been as we're going through this little series. We're just taking a stop as we move through the book of Matthew. Scoot on down to verse 18. I like it so much because Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and then he doesn't say, he says to his disciples, well, I don't have a clue what's going to happen to you, just go on your own, you just be surprised. No, no, he gives them what to expect. Here's what you're going to expect when it starts on the day of Pentecost. He says in verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, which is just you and I as Christians. Here we go. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's a hard term. What are we faced with? In other words, Jesus says, when you take the message to the streets, here's what you can expect. By the way, gates of Hades symbolize two things, Satan 
and the power of death. Jesus says, when you start invading the world, which is Satan's territory, you can expect opposition. It's not going to be easy. And Satan is going to be there, and all the forces of hell are going to be against you. Some people might say, well, then I'm not taking it to the streets. And to be honest, that's what's happened to the church. See, the church has become defensive. We'll just sit here and complain about the world, complain about the government, complain about the rulings, complain about abortion. We just stay right in here and protective in these walls. So what is Jesus trying to say to us? Here's what you want to write. Sometimes we forget this. The church is a spiritual army fighting against Satan and sin. So that's why we don't play at church. Life is not a playground. It is a battlefield. That's why you and I have to understand that Jesus says, when you take it to the streets, well, Satan's going to be there. Death is going to be there. But notice what he says. The gates of hell will not overcome it. So Jesus says, even though Satan's here, even though the threat of death is here, even though there's warfare, Satan has no power over the church of Christ and over you and over me. Remember when Jesus died, just before he died, he said this to his disciples in John 14. Because I live, you will live also. That was a look to after he died on the cross. You see, when Jesus died, death, which was the enemy of man, could not hold him. Three days later, the power of God raised him from the dead. And then Jesus says, because I live, you will live also. In other words, when you and I die, our greatest enemy is death. Death can't hold me. After I die, instantly, the next moment, I'm in the presence of God. Why? Because the same power that raised Jesus will raise you and me. I mean, death is not my enemy. It was conquered by his death and his burial and his resurrection. Now, that brings us to the last foundational key of those six that we talked about. Here's the sixth one. You want to write it down. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? Not only is the founder and the builder and the whatever, but he is Christ preserves the church and provides ultimate victory for it. In other words, even though as we look at the church today in a whole, sometimes we're a little saddened and we see the compromise and we see stuff going on in the church that doesn't even match the Bible and we can get a little, a little, well, we can actually get a little negative and a little critical. But to be careful because what Jesus says is the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So that means that the, the church of Christ, you and I, we're invincible. Oh, we'll lose a few scrimmages. That happens always. But in the end, his church will win. If you're in the church, you win. At best, when the rapture comes, he takes his church out of the world. We win. We don't go through the seven years of tribulation. We win. If you die before that, you win. You don't go to hell. You go immediately into the presence of God. So this is good news. This is the news that Jesus was trying to say. Because the disciples didn't know what the church was going to look like. They didn't know what the battle was going to look like. And here's what he says. Be realistic. When I leave, you take my place. You. And when you take my place, most of my ministry was not done in the synagogue. Most of my ministry was done 
in the streets. So you take it there. Now, when you take it there, there's going to be lots of opposition. But you can relax because in the end, you win. You win. So the church is not defensive. The church is offensive. Now, what does that look like in practical terms? In this world, there are two kingdoms only. It's not like a Chinese restaurant. You go to a Chinese restaurant and there's 47,000 things you can choose from. There's only two. Kingdom of God, kingdom of Satan. Only two. Everybody is in one of those two. A kingdom is simply where a king rules. So the kingdom of Satan is where Satan's the ruler. And what's his goal? Steal, kill, destroy. You say, well, if people knew that, they wouldn't stay in that kingdom. They don't know it because he's very deceptive. On Wednesday night, we talked about many of the the Babylonians got in trouble because they were drunkards. See, drinking isn't a sin, but getting drunk is a sin in the Bible, spoken directly to it. So he mentioned that. See, why is Satan deceptive? Because of this. You'll see this. Have a Michelob weekend. Man, it looks good. Good looking broads all over the place and big guys with muscle, whatever. At the end of that ad, you don't see the hospital where the drunk driver just ran into the bus and killed seven kids, do you? Well, you never, you don't see at the end of that ad with these guys having fun with it. You don't see at the end of that, the papers from the divorce court, all the homes separated because the man now is alcoholic or the woman. You never see that. But is it true? Well, sure it's true. 50,000 people are killed on the road by drunk drivers every year. You see that? Michelob weekend. Be one of the 50,000 that kill people. No, you would never see why. Because he's deceptive. Well, what's the end result? The end result is, at death, if you're in the kingdom of Satan, you will be where Satan is. And where is Satan going to be? In hell slash the lake of fire. Now, the other kingdom is the kingdom of God. That's where God rules. What do we get from him? Well, in this life, you get full life, John 10.10, abundant life, joy, still a problem, still in battle, but you have assurance that you're going to win. When you die, if you're in that kingdom and you die, where do you go? Well, I go where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. So it's incredible. Now, here's the one thing you do want to copy. Everyone is initially born into the kingdom of Satan. You say, how can that be? I didn't choose that. No, it was chosen for us. Uh, recently, we visited our grand, little granddaughter for two days. And uh, she's growing up and she's swinging all these personalities, just wonderful. But as I looked at her, and I had her out in her thing one day, and I was doing a walk with her, and we're running and having a lot of fun. She had a little hat on, and man, we're just having a ball. You'd have loved seeing me. It was cool. <laughs> you know what I was doing for her? I was praying for her. Why was I praying for her? Because I know she's in the kingdom of Satan. Now, God's grace covers it until she gets old enough to make a decision, but I want her to make a decision young to come and accept the Lord. How did she get in the kingdom of Satan? Well, she was born to my daughter. My daughter was born in the kingdom of Satan. How did that happen? Well, because she was born in the home with mom and dad. And my parents were. See, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, their gene pool was corrupted. Every man and every woman born starts in the kingdom of Satan. Now, if that's true, here's the kicker. How can I change kingdoms? That's the only question you really want to answer. You want to ask yourself, if I'm in that kingdom, how do I change kingdoms? 
That's the goal for the church. Bottom line, here's what it is. Jesus wants you and I on the streets. And what is the message? You can change kingdoms. How do you do that? You have to be born again. You have to ask Jesus Christ, the king, to come in and rule you. You say, Satan doesn't rule me. Yes, he does. There's only two kingdoms. If you're not a Christian and Jesus doesn't rule you, then Satan rules you. Well, he never told me he did. No, stupid, of course he didn't. Because he's a liar. He's known as the fathers of lies. And I don't mean stupid, stupid. It's just that, the, do you know what I just went through? The wor- Listen, the world does not understand this. They don't have a clue. No clue. And so that's why you can't just take it in this building because they don't get it. Nobody's told them. Remember in, in the book of Acts, it says, in the book of Romans, it says, how can they know unless someone tells them? They don't know. So the goal of the church, the goal of Jesus, is to take this to the streets so that when you and I are out there, we can announce the good news that people can change kingdoms. Now, what's the goal of Satan? Well, to impede you and I from doing that. Make us weird, make us radical, make us obnoxious. So if we would even say that, people said, get out of my hair. You see, we're to be on the offensive. Go into all the world. But we're not to be offensive. Did that make sense to you? You see, if you're like weird and in people's face, you're not representing Jesus. Jesus wasn't weird. He wasn't obnoxious. Did he tell it like it was? Yes. But he told it with love. Now, as you and I understand that, how does this work out? What tools do I have to share the gospel in the streets to the people who need to hear that they can change kingdoms? Well, Jesus goes on. Look at verse 19. By the way, you want to write this down before we get there. What is the battle about? It's simply souls. See, if people don't change, if your husband, your wife, your children, your relatives, your uncle, your aunt, your neighbor, your co-student, wherever, if they don't change kingdoms, they spend eternity in hell. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse. Because it's forever. So it's not about buildings. It's not about the name of a church. It's not about numbers of people. It's about one thing. The souls of men and women. Now, verse 19 is an interesting verse. Jesus says this. I will give you... The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys represent power, authority, uh, delegated authority. What Jesus is saying is keys open doors. So Jesus says, I'm giving you the authority to open the doors of faith to people's lives. And you're going to do that with the message and also the ministry. You're going to help the poor. You're going to do all this. And that's going to open doors for you. Does the Church of Jesus Christ have walls or does it not have walls? Yes. (laughs) In today's message, Pastor Mark shared that the church has walls in the sense that Christians meet in buildings. But the church is more than just the group that meets in a building on Sundays. The church is a living organism built by Jesus Christ who is the founder, the foundation, the head, and the builder of the church. And we as Christians are its living members. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pastor Mark will continue to go through this series in the next edition of Lessons for Living. 
To add today's message to your study library, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. The cost for each CD is $5, and that includes shipping. Again, to place an order for a CD, simply log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and select the Order a Message option from the main menu. Not only is Jesus Christ the founder and builder of the church, but he preserves it and provides ultimate victory for it. In the next edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark reminds us that we need to be prepared for battle. We are at war for the souls of people and Satan is going to attack us from all sides. But we don't have to worry. Jesus is our protector and defender. He will give us ultimate victory. We cannot lose with Jesus as our leader. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Mark continues teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Let us hear your